Good morning. Yay, people again. That's actually quite nice after the video camera, although the lights are really, really bright. If they need to stay that way for videoing, that's okay. If they don't and you tune them down just a little bit, I can actually see the people that we get to experience this with. Oh, you're awesome. Um, uh, this summer, our sermon series is Prayers for Renewal. And today as we start, I want to tell you about a concept that you may or may not have heard of, but it will help you understand where I'm going with the message. The concept is called second simplicity. And unfortunately, the formal definition of it is not very simple, so let me just explain it to you really quick. This is where you take a concept that's really familiar, just really basic, and then you have explored it enough or either by study or just by life, by living it, by experiencing it, by taking it apart or wrestling with it, being challenged by it, something, and all of a sudden it clicks and you just get it at a whole different level. And then you, with excitement, go to tell someone else and you realize, they're going to hear the words and they already know them. <laughs> like, duh, I knew this. Um, it's one of the ways this is described is through a story of a really, really great theologian. He's probably the most prominent theologian of the modern era. His name was Karl Barth. And he, a theologian, by the way, is someone whose life goal is to study God and all the facets of his character and his walking out on the earth. So he's written that, sorry, something's giving, I don't want to do that to your ears again. He's given thousands, or written thousands of papers. I think I'm just obsessed with spitting at you one more time. <laughs> and um, yeah, studied his whole life. And the story goes that at the end of his, when he was drawing near to the end of his career, someone asked him, of everything that you've studied, could you sum it up in just one sentence? And what he said, many of you will recognize. He said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And I don't know if that rings as familiar to you as it does to me, but that's the song I grew up singing in Sunday school. If I were to sing it for you now, you would find out that Maya did not get her voice from me, so we're not gonna go there. And while it's beautiful and appropriate and simple, and we can actually learn from it when children sing it, when Karl Barth said it, it was just imbued with this, I get it, I have studied it. So. I had one of those moments. I'm so excited. This is me trying to contain my excitement. Two weeks ago when Tim was teaching on the passage, um, the Lord's Prayer, you remember when he was walking through, if you, heard, if you didn't hear it, go back and hear it. it. It was so good, I got an aha moment. Okay, let's put it that way. But he was talking through forgiveness. Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And it was like, oh, I understand forgiveness on a whole new level. Now, 
if you have my slides, if not, that's okay, but if you have my slides, this aha, this thing that just clicked was that God's forgiveness brings renewal by fixing what we can't fix. I'm not waiting for you all to look shocked and odd. You probably know this. <laughs> That's why I needed that concept of second simplicity because I saw it in a brand new way that made sense. So I'm gonna try to communicate that for you and get you to come go with me from I know this to oh, I know this. When Tim was teaching, he pointed out, I believe the next slide is helpful here, he pointed out that um, there's a kindness in the way that the, um, that Jesus, I was gonna say the author, but he's Jesus, phrases this, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do you hear the kindness? It's like you're commanded to do this, but as you say it, I'm gonna go ahead and give you the benefit of the doubt that this is what you're doing. And it's a very gentle but powerful reminder that you must also do this for others. In fact, you can do this for others because I have done it. Again, Tim's sermon, go listen to it. He did a great job focusing on that second half. My aha, though, came from recognizing that this isn't just kind to pair these two phrases, God's forgiveness with our forgiveness. It's also unbelievably generous because what scripture tells us elsewhere about God's forgiveness is that our own forgiveness is just an echo of what he can do. He does something different deeper, he's God. All right, I have to stay focused because I get so excited about this. Not only is our forgiveness only possible because he forgives, but our forgiveness pales in comparison to the way he forgives. So when we forgive and we move toward restoration, is that that's what happens when we forgive. When Jim and I, well, we don't have squabbles. <laughs> we have wars. Can you imagine this much passion in any home? So, you know, when we have one of those moments and we need to forgive one another, a large percentage of the time, it's me that needs to be forgiven. But what we're doing in that moment is moving toward restoration. We wanna be the same couple or maybe even a better version growth of that couple that we were when we were 15 and 18 and met and loved or 20 and 23 when we said I do and you know believed it would be easy and perfect all the time. We're moving toward that restoration of that relationship you can count on. But when we move toward restoration, our best restoration will still have scars it will still require healing from pain, and it will take a little bit of rebuilding of trust, depending on the level of the infraction. Right? Are we, 
we were on the same page with forgiveness? Okay. When God forgives, he literally takes what we have no power to fix and just makes it brand new. Brand new. We call this renewal. He renews it. <laughs> this is that second simplicity part. I'm like, why aren't they bouncing out of their seats yet? <laughs> I'll help you. Okay. Uh, let's look at, let me show you what I mean by looking at two places in scripture. So the first place we're going to look is 2 Samuel 12, 13. Now, Tim also set things up great for me by alluding to this passage earlier. Remember last week, if you watched it, if you didn't, Please go ahead, it's fantastic. He talked about Psalm 51, where David asks for a renewed heart, a renewed spirit, something only God can give. And it's one of my favorite Psalms, even before I had this, oh, moment of second simplicity. But what that Psalm is referring to, when David praise it to the Lord, is an event that is captured for us in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. Tim also alluded to that. Now, the passage is both icky to have to talk about, so we'll just kinda skip it. Uh, let's just say David commits every sin that makes people hate other people. I'm sorry, I was gonna say women hate men, but he also murdered. So he's just scum, okay? And then remember that Nathan, David's prophet, God's prophet, but the prophet serving during the time of David comes to him and says, hey, let me tell you a story about this creep that did something unimaginably horrible. And David hears and he's like, oh man, I'm king. Here's what I would do. I'd let him have it. And Nathan looks at him, and Hebrew, it's very, very simple. He says, you the man, like, you did this. And then Nathan doesn't stop talking. He keeps talking. And there's all kinds of complexities in this passage that we're just going to have to leave for another day. But what he does is he tells David, this is how grave that sin was. And because of that, there are going to be consequences that just last the rest of your life. And if you finish reading the book of 2 Samuel, you'll see that they do. And his family's a mess, and it's just really, really difficult. And we can talk about that all in another time. If it's hard to read, I get it. Don't let anyone tell you that it's not complex and it's not a tough passage, because it is. But remember this, part of the reason it's so tough is because God is communicating to David who has felt the pain of his sin by hearing what someone else did. You're not feeling it enough yet, bud. This was severely wrong, okay? But buried within this whole chapter that's walking through the consequences, and I didn't even notice this chapter or this verse until I translated it in Hebrew only 
It's in your English Bibles. You don't need Hebrew to get this. Only because I translate Hebrew really slowly and I had to slow down so that I could see it. Right after Nathan stops talking, look at 2 Samuel 12, 13, even if it's just up on the slide with me. So he said, you did this in secret. I'll do this thing in broad daylight. Nathan's still talking and he stops talking for the first time. And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan had replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. Got a chapter full of the consequences and the gravity of this sin. And in the middle of it, David looks at God and says, you're right. I did this. And I can't fix it. And God says, I can. Fixed. Full stop. Move on to something else. Duh! All right, no one's dancing yet. Let's go to Matthew. Sorry with my THs. <laughs> that bu- book, <laughs> chapter 9, verses 1 through 8, tell this story. And I'm not going to read the whole story, but you may have heard of it before. Um, Jesus is gathering somewhere, and people want him to heal their friend, and their friend um, is a paralytic. He can't walk. And so they bring him. They're the ones that have to bring him. And they bring him in front of Jesus. And you can go ahead and put the slide up here. Uh, Jesus, or some men bring him. He's lying on a mat. And Jesus sees his face, and he's, or their faith. And he says to the paralytic, take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. Like, boom, done. Do you know how long it takes my husband and I to restore after a really good fight? In Kentucky, well, actually, we lived over the border in Indiana. We actually had a restaurant right around the corner. We could walk to it. We never went out to eat. We were poor seminary students. We had a restaurant that we would take the girls to. We just had Maya and Amanda at the time after one of those massive fights because everybody just needed to resettle. We had to cover, recover from the fight before we could restore the relationship even. And we needed just sort of a safe place and to let the girls know whether it worked or not, but like, we're still together, it's okay. <laughs> Surprisingly, we loved that restaurant. I <laughs> would think it'd have some pretty bad connotations, but that was before we could even get to the restoration. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Now, here's the piece where I'm giving myself some grace for not seeing this earlier. Like, I've taught this, I understand, but not seeing what it really means because I'm not entirely alone. We can't see what that looks like inside. Like, yay, he said this, cool. And so, um, let me tell you that there are people there that recognize 
how massive it is that Jesus says this. In fact, they get mad at him and call him a blasphemer because he's taking on a role that only God can do, right? He's the only one who can do that. So they recognized it. I'm just a little slow on the uptake. But he recognizes that they're just words. You can't see it happen. And so he says to them, hold on, knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your heart? What is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? Now, there's a lot of different ways to read that, and they're intentional, like what's easier to say? But what he's telling them is, you can't see what I did, but it would blow your mind. So let me pick something lesser, and I'm gonna blow your mind with that. Hey, bud, get up and walk. And the man got up and walked. Are you catching for just a minute that at least the people listening to this story recognize that forgiveness of sins is something we cannot do? We can forgive our spouse. We, Let me give you an example that my brain can comprehend. Because I've read those passages forever. <laughs> I apparently didn't get it. So as Tim was talking and my mind was just going, oh my gosh, like he literally forgives. Like it just goes away. Like, mm, brain, I wanted to stand up and go, Tim, tell him there's also a difference. <laughs> like he's like going on and on about our similarity and our forgiveness, which is true, and the Bible says it, but it's so generous. And I was looking over here, I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but I do that all the time, to this family over here with their kids, and I thought, this is so simple, my kids get this better than I do. And by the way, I love that we have kids in here now, love it, so, if you're doing your thing, it is delighting my heart. Enjoy it. So this was motivated by you guys. I was sitting there thinking, how, how, this is so simple. If I tell it to adults, it'll just sound like theological mumbo jumbo. How would I tell this to kids? And the illustration I came up with also comes from our own home, but not from my husband and I. <laughs> Rather, from my son and his dog. Now, <laughs> COVID hit. And we got not one, but two new puppies because mom has a PhD. That means really good at Hebrew, really dumb at everything else. So we have these puppies and they are for the children and the children raise them. And the relationship between Haven and Coda is just beautiful. Coda worships Haven. She follows him everywhere. It's so cute. Both of them can participate in the act of forgiving, okay? Uh, Haven has more than once stepped on her tail, and she has shrieked in pain and kind of cowered away, and oh my gosh, Haven is a bleeding heart on the inside, and he just falls to his knees sometimes with tears, like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And within seconds, Coda's licking his face and she'll play with again, him again. 
and they're all good, okay? So Coda and Haven can both forgive. Haven has had Coda chew her toy, his, pronouns are hard, his toys, um, he's, oh, he's endured a lot from that dog as well, scratches and, anyway. And Haven forgives Coda. But because Haven has opposable thumbs, access to a bike, and sometimes through his mother, the internet, Haven can do something that Coda cannot do. When Coda ruins something, Haven can try to mend it or throw it out and bike to the store and get another one or ask me to order another one, which is usually what happens. Do you see the difference? Both of them are forgiving, but Coda's best effort in those moments is to kind of bow her head and cower as close to the floor as she can and sort of nudge the broken thing toward Haven. And no one's angry at Coda that she can't fix it. She's a dog. We might be a little angry that she broke it, but she's the cutest dog you have ever seen in your life, so that doesn't last long. Plus, we love her, and she's so contrite. And then Haven, I mean, Coda can't even clean it up. She can't even hide the evidence. She's a dog. Haven can clean it up. Haven can re, um, restore it. Haven can purchase a new one. There's a difference, though they both forgive. And that same difference is the difference between our forgiveness and God's forgiveness. We can put a Band-Aid on things. We can take steps towards reconciliation. We can change our behavior. We can, you know, sometimes for us it's like, okay, we need more date nights. Or we can work towards it, and by the beauty of God's forgiveness, things heal. But we can't even fathom what it would be like to look at someone and say, oh, okay, we'll just brand new. Brand new. In fact, I wonder if that's what the point of all the miracles is. I think I've been taught this in school. <laughs> I did go to school for this stuff. God's like, do you not get that I am so different than you? I created the universe. You need eyeballs? You get new eyes. You need to walk? You get legs. Someone died? I'll just breathe life back into them and they just get back up. Nothing's too difficult. Can you, from there, extrapolate that I literally make things new? I had better get on proper. I'm going to get really excited. Gosh, I talked a lot already. This is where that concept of second simplicity comes in. 
in the same way that God's forgiveness is exponentially, in the same way that Havens and Coda's forgiveness is different, same but different, God's forgiveness is exponentially greater than ours because he is God and not man. All too often when I think about forgiveness, I think about it based on my limited human paradigm. I think about it as restoring, reconciling, growing. But scripture tells us over and over that God's forgiveness is of another kind because he is other. He literally makes things new. And as I was thinking about this, I had this image that probably parents will be able to relate to, although you can pretend you don't. It'd be better for you if no one knows you can relate to this. When Maya, my firstborn, was born, I remember the first time I clipped her little fingernails. She had these long, slender, beautiful hands. And when I was clipping her nails, I caught the top of one of them, one of her fingers. Yeah. I wanted to die. I cried for hours. But in my head, I'm like, oh no, this perfect flesh is marred. And that's where it hit. This is why God says, wait, wait, wait. I can just make you reborn. Born again. Brand new. So besides my excitement, why does this matter? If we as a church are serious about praying for renewal, we need to recognize that confession is the on-ramp to renewal. Confession just means we need forgiveness. And how do we get that? Picture Coda. Oops, I broke. I can't fix, I can't even clean it up. I can try to hide it, I can't even hide it. And so we ask the one who can make all things new in a way that even with this second aha, I can't fully understand. And if you've asked God for forgiveness and it doesn't feel like it stuck or you've never asked him to forgiveness because it just seemed like words, what do words do for us? Yay, I forgave you, yay. What does that mean? And you're like, I just wish someone could take all this gook on the inside and clean it up. Or I wish someone could see me and actually know who I am. Hey, this is how you do that. You ask for his forgiveness. Go ahead and put that last slide up for me. So, When we're praying for renewal in our lives, in our church and in our city, this is what we're asking for. We're praying to God, who's not man, and who both can and will take our broken and make it brand new. Earlier, I mentioned just a second ago that sometimes it feels like that brand new doesn't look like you're perfect yet on the outside. And we actually have a way that God has ordained for us to be reminded anytime we gather with one another that he did indeed make us brand new by his death and resurrection on the cross. And we call that 
communion. And it's that reminder that God is doing, well, communion you can study a lot, but in the simplest fashion, it's that reminder that his blood that he shed, his death, David's sin that was such a big deal, he made it new because he's God and because he took care of it. And we remember that as we take communion and partake in the wine or the grape juice and the body of Christ through the wafer. Will you go ahead and bow with me? I'm gonna pray. We can do communion even as we pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege to gather. Thank you for the simplicity and the beauty of your word. Thank you for your otherness that does things that we can't understand. And as our church and our city prays to you to restore and fix and rebuild and renew things that we have run out of the wisdom to know how to handle, thank you that whether we understand what you're doing or how you're doing it or not, that you are literally the God of creation who fixes what we've messed up. Amen.